Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York. And Boca Raton, Florida. It's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back. Freight 360 Nation, it's episode 174 of the Freight 360 Podcast. We've got another special episode today with a guest uh, Ryan Mann from Lean Solutions Group. We'll get into Ryan in just a second here. But if you're brand new, you caught a great episode. Uh, Lean's been a, a longtime partner and sponsor of ours, and uh, we're always glad to have a guest on. Make sure to keep sharing us with all your friends in the industry. Our, our community has grown leaps and bounds over the last handful of years. And leave those reviews. And uh, you, yeah, you got a good uh, got a good episode today. So Ryan Mann, if you're first time on the show, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you. And um, yeah. if you don't mind, just kind of for the listeners out there that aren't familiar with you, because you do a lot of this stuff on the in the background with Lean, you've helped us out a lot. Um, just give us a quick rundown on on what you do with the company, and you know how you got into into the into the organization, and um, yeah, just a little bit of a down you know rundown here. Sure. Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. I really do appreciate it, and we love having you guys as partners. Um, you know, you guys are you're awesome to work with, and we really enjoy. Uh, the collaboration. Um, so I'm the director of marketing uh, at Lean Solutions Group. I am basically the guy responsible for all the messaging, trade booths, uh, creative, and anything that you see from Lean Solutions Group with that, I'm sure is quite a lot. Um, I'm the guy doing that in the background. So uh, I got plugged in with Lean in June 2020, uh, right after, you know, Everything started closing down at the pandemic. The good old pandy. Yeah, the pandemic. The good old pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got started, you know, in the middle of all that. And when I started, we were uh, we were probably like fourteen hundred employees, and today we're sitting just over nine thousand. So we've that's awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into some of the the highlights of kind of where Lean has has come to over the the last couple of years since we started working with you guys. So looking forward to a good episode, um, Ben. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. So what's interesting, we always start off with a sports banter. Um, luckily, Ben, being a South Florida guy, you're not a Miami Dolphins fan. You are a Steelers fan. So I want to start off by saying I'm a little disappointed that... Luckily, um, I'm pretty pissed that they won. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything happened for the Steelers to make it to the playoffs, except for the Jets could not take down the Dolphins <laughs> last week. Um, but I'll be uh, my bills will be, will be taken on a Tua... Tonga Vailoa less uh, Dolphins team this this coming Sunday. So the Dolphins are without their starting or their secondary quarterback. So they got a third stringer playing. I don't even know his name. Um, but I think the spread's at like 14 points favored towards the Bills or something like that. But yeah, you've seen a lot of like <laughs> Dolphins flags going on or like a lot of apparel down there or no? No, to be honest, most of the Dolphins fans, I mean, my son's a huge Dolphins fan. I mean, I mean, I live here, so a lot of Dolphins fans, everyone's been pretty disgusted pretty much with them going into December. And then yeah. even like that's even last Sunday, I'm like asking like our friends at the pool, you know, in the community and everything and Arthur, I'm like, you guys, fire. they're like, oh man, this season's shot. They were like, I'm like, man. Can't you guys just like take an L then and let us get into the playoffs? <laughs> because like <laughs> maybe we could actually do something. Yeah. At the very least, Steelers got a got a winning season. So Mike Tomlin has a career of winning season. So it was nice to see them. And I think, I mean, they ended this year way better than they ended last year. So I mean, happy with it. Especially yeah. a two and six team a few weeks ago. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see how Miami went from one of the hottest looking teams to just really fizzling out at the end there. Um, yep. Who knows, man? Who knows? The uh, Well, Ryan, you're in Texas, right? What part of Texas yeah. are you in? I am in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. So, okay, so we got we got a uh, Cowboys fan here. Well, loosely, only only because I have to, uh, based on location. <laughs> yeah, it's America's football team right there. I remember when I when I was like uh, like ten years ago or so, I was in stationed in Fort Lee, Virginia, with the Army, and we'd all go to like Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the football games, and they'd, they'd have every game on because you have people from everywhere. It's like a melting pot near a military base. But there was always like at least 51% Steelers fans inside of like any Buffalo Wild Wings on a given Sunday. So I was just going to say that. I'm like of every, every city and state I've ever been in, there's a Steelers bar. I've got buddies in Hawaii, um, people that have been in Italy and run into other Steelers fans. There's a story, I think, uh, back to the 70s where um, whoever the commissioner was asked um, the owner of the Steelers, and my mind just blanked that I really should know that, um, if they wanted to be America's team. And they said, no, let the Cowboys have it. well it's an interesting matchup so on the nfc side so for for the cowboys they're taking on tom brady and the bucks who have not really looked so hot and what's i always find it interesting when a like so dallas is a wild card but they're playing a division leader who had a terrible season so Mm -hmm. um but i feel like that's how that nfc east was a couple years ago when like everyone was just bad like the eagles were bad cowboys were bad Washington was bad. Like literally the whole division was just not good, but um, yeah. so you got that matchup. I, th- I think Dallas should be able to take care of business yeah, there. Giant, We've lost Minnesota. some steam. We've lost yeah, you steam never know. over the last six weeks, man. It's yeah. <laughs> had, had well, been good. Had we'll been see. Pretty at least um, the AFC side. I think the Bills should take, uh, take care of the dolphins. Hopefully you got Baltimore and um, Cincinnati. It's basically a rematch of week 18 for those two. Kansas City gets the bye. Um, the Jaguars pulled off a way to sneak into the the playoffs as the as the uh, AFC South leader. Somehow the Titans just fell apart after a lot of injuries and whatnot. But um, Bills Demar Hamlin, he actually it's today's Wednesday. He got he got transferred to Buffalo after his injury in Cincinnati, and he just today got released from the hospital. So less than two weeks That's after awesome. his heart stopped, Good. essentially on the Good. field. Um, so miraculous recovery there. And you could see a Bills Bengals likely rematch in the divisional round, which would be next weekend, but we'll see. It would be an Orchard Park. So but I will be at the game this weekend, Bills hosting the Dolphins on uh Sunday. So I'll I'll give my prediction at the end of the episode. Um the other thing in, in football or I guess in sports is did either of you watch the college football well, championship game Monday night? We don't have to talk about that skip. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I should remember as a you're in Texas. So TCU. I'm not even a TCU fan. I went to Texas Tech, you know, wreck them. But, you know, Big 12, the final, had to support them. But, man. Yeah. Well, it was just an absolute bloodbath of a game. It was, (laughs) like, it was depressing. Because, like, when you see – so if you didn't watch it, Georgia won their second straight championship, 65-7. to They basically hit the gas and never stopped. Like, they they scored – just kept scoring over and over and over and, like – I, I mean, could not quarterback believe how didn't, unclose he didn't that even game get was. touched all night long. He didn't get yeah. touched. It was, yeah, it was a great performance for sure. It it makes me excited to see like in two more years they're going to a twelve game playoff and or a twelve team playoff instead of just the top four now because you had teams like 
Alabama that finished number five didn't get to play in the playoffs, that you'll have that five, six, seven team that will be able to, you know, maybe have a couple upsets and make their way to the to the mm-hmm. end there. So, but yeah, that's all I got for sports. You guys, anything else big happen around the sports community? We're getting no. into golf now, Ben. Right? Yeah, still a little early, but coming up soon. Yeah, I've been seeing more and more on TV. Well, I guess I'm in a I'm in like a virtual golf league on. Uh, Monday nights now, and they always have golf on. So they had some some good stuff highlighting the the future season here, the future year. But all right, cool. Well, let's give a shout out to our friends at DAT, and we're going to get into a awesome packed episode today with Ryan. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT, the DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. With the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. And a reminder, if you are adding licenses or seats to your thing, you can use that link as well to get a free month with them. Yep. Absolutely. Um, cool. So, all right. Today's episode, we wanted to bring in Ryan from Lean. There's, there's, there's a lot of stuff I want to, you know, we want to talk through today. Um, you alluded to a couple things at the beginning of the episode, although Ryan, that I wanted to definitely point out here. So when we first started, we partnered with you guys in the last couple of years and, um, you know, we've done a lot with, we, we recommend folks over on the staffing side and then Lean really grew outside of just primarily, Hey, we can, we can put bodies in seats for you. Like we even personally have used you guys on the tech side to build our website on the marketing side to help out with, um, you know, content and stuff to go with our YouTube community and uh, social media posting and stuff like that. But you bought, you pointed out a, a, just the growth that you guys have had of up to 9,000 folks now. So just mm-hmm. get us up to speed. I know we've, we've, we've highlighted a lot on you guys being in Columbia, but where is lean now and what, what, I guess what are the the big highlights of um, what you guys are providing for your for your customers out there? Yeah, so um, today we're in six cities in Colombia, and we're also in Guatemala and the Philippines. We have recruitment operations in Peru and Brazil for Lean Tech, uh, and we are setting up for so for this year. Some of our expansion plans include Mexico. So we're gearing up for Mexico, trying to find our, our first office space, but we've already been recruiting some really great talent down there uh, right. and have some uh, customers ready to set up and rock and roll. You guys might be like, I mean, headcount wise, one of the top three or four, if you just counted logistics professionals in the company, right? Like, cause you've got to be bigger than some of the big four or five. And I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. DQL was only around seven or 8,000. Again, ballparking it. I haven't looked recently, but I mean, I mean that's enormous. First of all, and right. in two years, fourteen hundred to that number in two years, it took a lot of those big brokerages fifteen years to hit that size, right? And yeah. the operations and the processes, and not only that, but you guys are integrating them into. I mean, ballpark. How many customers do you guys have? I mean, uh, I think we're just over the six hundred customer mark today. So. Into 600 individual logistics yeah. firms, which is and it's not, really it's not our processes, it's, right? It's not right. us. We're, we're white glove. So, I mean, we're setting everybody up with their unique processes, their unique systems, and we're, you know, leading the training, the workforce analytics on that. Um, and, of course, the recruitment and, 
and uh, vetting process as well. Well, I'd say probably a big part of that growth too comes from the the successful brokerages that have, for lack of better terms, that have leaned on your support and your services, right? They've been able to grow through what you guys have provided for them. And in turn, there's a higher demand for more of what you guys do. So that's, right. that's probably a big part of it too. Yeah, so. I think in our I think in our 2022 snapshot, I think over 50, like 56% or something like that of our customers uh, grew their teams in Columbia. Yeah, like Ben, if you remember, we remember we had ARL on, I think back in November, and they there are like over a hundred folks from Lean that are supporting their their operation. So that's awesome to see. Cause I mean, not only are the brokerages that are relying or that are working with you guys, not only are they growing and flourishing with their team members, but it's it's providing opportunity and growth and and careers, right? You're putting food on the table for folks around the yeah. world as well. So it's it's an awesome thing what yeah. you guys are doing. So what what's the uh, what's the the roadmap look like in into twenty twenty three here? Anything that's not classified, you can tell me, but have to kill me type thing. What what kind sure. of stuff are you guys? It's on the horizon here. Yeah, so of course our our geographic uh, our geographic expansion is of course top priority. You know, moving into Mexico, getting operations set up there, um, <clears throat> and then of course growing our current cities and, and markets that we're in. I think. Uh, you know, in addition to adding some countries last year, we also opened more offices in the cities that we were already uh, in. So I think we have uh, three offices in Barakia today. I think we have another two or three in Bogota. Um, so, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, looking at different countries, but I mean, the demand uh, for the countries that we are in is also just continuing to, to grow. Um, because we are, like you said, offering real valuable opportunities to the people that work uh for us in those countries. It's, uh, there's a lot of talent and not enough opportunity, like good quality opportunities in those countries. And so, uh, it's a, it's a perfect fit for logistics. Can't find enough people, uh, and talent, you know, in the U S for logistics. Uh, but there's a ready and uh, willing workforce uh, in these countries that we're operating. So I'm curious and you, you may not be able to speak to it fully, but when you go to like, let's say, for example, you go to Mexico or you go to Guatemala and you're like, hey, we this is the this is the, the type of business and the kind of services that we're that we're currently running with here. What is it like or has there been hurdles to your knowledge of like, hey, you you have to understand and learn the the United States domestic freight industry to a basic level. Right. Have you has that been mm-hmm. a like a, a hurdle along the way, you think, or has it has no. it gone fairly um, smooth? No. And the reason it's not a hurdle is not because the workforce has a ton of education or experience in the U.S. freight market. It's because we take that training and, and, and we do that. Right. So every person that enters into a logistics role or is working for a logistics company goes through at minimum our three week training program, which is now three weeks. Uh, it was five, but we've taken it down a couple of weeks through our partnership with SimTrain. Um, and so. They go through that three-week training program for logistics, and so they get a, a foundational understanding of, you know, macro things in logistics, but also their actual job responsibilities. Nice. I forgot I mean, about SimTrain, right? That week, because we did an episode with them last year as well, where mm-hmm. they have, like, mm-hmm. the um, the concept on it was, like, you, we, we could, they basically, you, you guys have a customizable, or they have a customizable training platform where you can have scenario-based 
um, training yeah. and, and all that. So that's pretty cool. You guys were able to, to sift it down from five weeks to three, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, a lot more efficient there. Yeah. And again, absolutely. if you, if you do something 9,000 times, you get better at it, right? <laughs> you get, you get, you get very good at it. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's why we're able to expand is, is because we're, we're good at that. We're, we're great at operations. We're great at quality. Uh, and so we're able to go into these new markets and basically just replicate the exact same thing that we're doing. Uh, yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter about education or experience or, you know, even the country or the culture, right? Um, you know, we're just, we're there and we're setting it up. Awesome. So I'm curious, right? The, the, the Like I said before, one of the main solutions that you guys offer for a lot of people is when they're trying to hire, right? They need bodies and... You know, they get to a point where they're kind of busting at the seams with their brokerage. Maybe it's just a mom and pop shop. Maybe it's five or 10 folks. And they're like, we need to add operations team, you know, team members. We need to count mm-hmm. reps. We need billing, back office, whatever it is. Does there tend to be like when, when you guys find a, a, when you add a new client to your um, to your roster, I guess you could say, is there does there tend to be like a common at first need in like staffing or in you know, maybe on the marketing side, what, what does that tend to look like? I mean, I would imagine no customer is the same, right? It's all white glove, like you mentioned, but is there going to be a trend around that? Yeah. So, I mean, some of our largest, um, you know, positions or roles that we have are logistics coordinators or track and trace, you know, carrier sales rep. Um, basically it's back office is, is the core of, you know, our customer base is using us for today. Um, but of course we're growing, very quickly on the tech side, very quickly um, in the marketing side, um, because you're starting to see that, uh, you know, things, especially in the market, you know, we're talking about a softer freight market right now, uh, things have normalized a little bit. And so uh, you're seeing companies that need to address uh, these issues for different reasons. It's not always bursting at the seams anymore. Uh, This is where we talk about workforce optimization, right? It's um, it's good for when things are not so great, and it's good for when things are going really, really well. Um, and so, yeah, it's pretty customer co- by customer, but the back office and operations is is pretty much a stronghold. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense because Ben, you and I talk about this all the time. It's like, what if you could replace? We always tell people like when you're when you're trying to grow and you're you need to hire, and like who should I hire first? It's like. Look at those things that if you take them off of your plate, they're going to enable you as a business owner to continue to add revenue and profits exactly. to your organization. And that tends to be like that track and trace. It could be billing, um, yep. scheduling appointments, like the so that the logistics coordinator makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I think what's what's good, and I like that you guys have the white glove approach. Is uh, and you, can, you basically have a you have hundreds of case studies and of. You know, actual folks that have have utilized you and succeeded. But we find people often that they want to take a shortcut and they're like, oh, I'm just going to hire a bunch of sales reps, have them go make a bunch of calls and they're going to grow my business for me. And then they just they lose sight of of their business as it is. So, yeah, yeah, I think I I was on a call yesterday with with a client. We were talking about this and there's a saying I always use dollar waiting on a dime. Right. And it's like if you're the sales guy and you are the one that brought in most of your customers. Right. But yet you don't have time to get on the phone to prospect because you're doing an operational task, right? Like it's the definition of you could do a, do- a task that's worth a dollar versus the one that's worth, you know, 10% of that. And it's like 
they're like people like, oh, I'm not growing. I'm not growing. I don't have time to prospect. Well, it's like you've got to give up some of that task wise so that you can go do the thing because the riskiest person to hire in any business is the salesperson in any industry. Because even the people that want to do it, that think they'll be good at it, you don't know if they'll be good at it. And even if they were good in another industry, you don't know if they'll like this industry. So there's just so much risk there. On the operational side, it's so much less. And again, if you are the one that owns the company, if you're the one that driving force that brought in the business, that's what you should be doing. You shouldn't be doing track and trace. You shouldn't be check calling. You shouldn't be doing these tasks that you can get off your plate to do the ones that are very specialized, very hard to hire for, and bring the most return on your investment of time into your business. Yeah. And and that's why we talk about you know, the strategic alignment of people, process, and technology. You know, it's in, it, today's business world has completely changed. You have to have technology. You have to have great process, and you have to have great people. Um, it's hard to find great people, especially if you're, you know, an agent or, you know, a mom-and-pop shop or, you know, just five to ten people, right? Uh, you might be growing your business or, you know, things are kind of getting a little bit expensive on that transactional cost. You know, where are the gaps? What are the things that you could spend your time doing that would be more productive, that would be better for your customer experience, that would be better for efficiency? And, uh, you know, what's going to lower your costs at the same time? And that's a partnership with, a, you know, a company like Lean. I mean, think about like a 24-7, you know, coverage, right? Now we have our offices in the Philippines. Their daytime is our nighttime. Yep. Imagine yep. walking into your office and realizing that your loads that you left when you left the office are covered. Yep. What would happen if you got three hours back to your day to pick up the phone and prospect? Or problem solve That's the thing I th- and, and get around disruption. And I don't think people look at it that way that often. Like they just look at the dollars and not the opportunity cost, right? Yep. Like what could I be doing instead of this that is more valuable to my business, right? And exactly. even if it's a dollar, right? And they're like, well, I don't want to spend that amount of money to hire somebody, anybody, right? But it's like, but you are too expensive to be doing that job. And like yeah. that, that is costing you money. That is yep. a literal inefficiency. And there, I was reading something yesterday morning and they were talking about like, what do you do to recession-proof your business? They're like, it's, it's pretty simple. You do the same things in a recession that you do in a good time. You manage your costs. You look for opportunities to mm-hmm. add more value to the business and you try to keep doing those things over and over again to get more efficient at all of them. Exactly. Yeah, I think about the uh, like an average day for me. I spend probably the first forty five minutes to an hour just just getting caught up on all my emails from stuff that came in either super early that morning or late the night before. I, I tend to be pretty plugged into my email on my phone at, at night, but you know there comes a point when I get my sleep right. And I think if you if you look at that from a brokerage office standpoint. It's a very, very good point, right? If you can come in and from minute one, you're like, all right, all the fires have already been put out. Maybe you got a couple that required an escalation level to you, but having that 24-hour coverage is huge. Like I've got one of the branches at at, um, my company. uh, They just recently got to, in their office, I think they have 19 or 20 hours of coverage now. And it's they get late night past midnight and then super early. There's just a, a very small gap. And that enabled... The, the key players there to get on the phones more with their customers, find more opportunities yep. within their existing company, their existing customers and also um, referrals and then just straight up old school prospecting some new business. So yep. that's a huge part of it. I like that a lot. And I the think Philippines, the other- is a great, that's a great solution, right? Like you said, their daytime is our nighttime and vice versa. 
Exactly. The other thing too, I think that is overlooked is the amount of time it takes to source candidates and interview them to even get to the person that you want, right? And yes. so many people are like, like, I don't have time to do anything more right now. And they're like, well, I'm going to go and start interviewing. Well, where are you going to find three or four hours a week? In addition to what you're already doing, right? And how long are you going to have to do that till you find that right person? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's four or five weeks. Sometimes it's six weeks, right? And it's like yeah. you're just burning time, burning money. And it's just like, get it. It doesn't seem like money, but it is. And it's quite a bit of it when you really get down to it. Because then you got to train the yep. person with the time yep. you don't have. I, I'll go a step that, further. Like thinking about recruitment costs, right? Like thinking yep. about it costs – you know, on average, I think it costs somewhere like between 20 and 40% of somebody's first year's salary to recruit somebody good. Some of the, I, the bigger, some of the bigger numbers from some of the brokerages, and I won't say who they were, but they would pin them. They were like between f- about 35 and 55 grand is what it cost if somebody didn't make their first year. Because it was basically wow. their whole first year, right? Plus the cost they paid the recruiter and the time to bring that person in to train them, all of it, right? Yeah, it's a big number. Yeah, and I've seen it. So, like to take what you both just said and hammer it home a, a step further. I've dealt with a lot of our our agent offices that when they look to grow, right? They're like, "Well, I could go out there and post a job, interview folks, blah blah blah." It's a, it's a commitment, and they're like, "Or I'm just going to hire my buddy, right?" Because <laughs> He was a sales guy. Yeah. He worked at T-Mobile or he sold, he sold insurance or whatever. And they're like, so then they like, they try to take the shortcut. And then, then you have the awkwardness of either like a friend or a family member who, first of all, they may or may not like the industry. They may or may not work out. And then you have that awkwardness of like, do I have to fire my friend or a family member? Or do I just feel guilty and pay for someone who's not doing a good job? I've seen that happen way too many times. And then like, you see like the... The friendship one is so weird because I've seen way too many good friendships. They get destroyed because they try to go in business together. One wants to work for the other. And then it's like we went from being buddies that would go out and have beers at happy hour to now you're my boss and you're getting mad at me because of this, that and everything. And like there's the, the quote, the only ship that won't sail is a partnership. So it's like, you know, you get these these two buddies that have this this vivid dream to go out there and build this massive brokerage. But one of them is really pulling their weight and the other one just sucks. So, um, yeah, I mean, this, I, I'm always, I've been huge on the staffing for you guys. And I know we've referred a lot of folks over there and, um, th- I think that's a, a huge strong point. So the, uh, if, and for anyone who has never heard us talk through that process, what does it typically look like if someone's like, Hey, um, I clearly need to hire a couple of bodies here and they get, you know, they get with lean. What does the process look like to, um, to get somebody in seats? Cause it's, not, there's a misconception that like, Oh, it's a staffing company. They're just going to assign me two people, but it's right. more than that, right? The, the interview process and include yeah. Yeah. your customer. So what does that process look like for somebody? Yeah, it's, it's much more than that typically. So, I mean, just talking about the upfront work that we do, we are placing about three to 400, uh, people in dedicated positions. So when I say dedicated positions, I mean they work for you. You you get to manage them. We'll, we co-manage and we make sure that there's quality assurance and KPIs are being met. Um, and we're boots on the ground for you in your satellite office, but those people report to you. Um, so they're your employees, right? They don't work. I mean, they're technically higher billing solutions group, but they work for like ARL logistics, right? They're the logistics coordinator for ARL. Um, and so that's, that's the first distinction. The second thing that we do is we are 
going back to the seats, 300 to 400 people a month. In order to get that number, we are vetting and reviewing 6,000 applications in the same month. 6,000 so, applications to get 400. applications to get three to 400 heads. And that's, that's, a lot, that's a lot different ratio than one buddy hiring his other buddy. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> it's uh, And it's only made possible because of our, you know, the workforce optimization that we do ourselves, right? People, process, technology. We have a great recruitment team. We have a great operations team. We use artificial intelligence to scan through resumes. We have a great uh, team that's vetting these people before you even see them. You, you don't even see these people until they've gone through at least three different face-to-face touch points. Um, and so once they're ready, you know, we're constantly building a roster of available talent. So it's not like it's, you know, you engage and then you have to wait forever, right? Uh, our whole thing is we can get your mission critical teams in three to five weeks. That's awesome. That's good stuff. And, so, yeah, and we I, want I, you to I, be I was, a part of the process. Sorry, I should add that too. It's like you get to interview these people. We're not selecting them on your behalf. You're making final selection. Um, well, I think what's what's cool, like what you brought up though before, is that it's not like oh we're gonna like. We're going to present you with 10 resumes. You've got to go through the interview process. It's like, no, you guys have a, you have essentially a bullpen of people on the bench that are available. And I'm sure that comes through predicting where there's going to be a need. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yep. you're not, you're not having to wait. Like, so if I'm, if I hired lean and I'm like, Hey, I need, I need two operations. People are or logistics coordinators. It's not like, all right, cool. We're going to go out and post a job for, logistics coordinators and we'll help, you know, we'll get some resumes. You can go through it. It's like, no, we, we already, you already have folks that have gone through robust training and vetting before they even get to the point where, Hey, here's some potential candidates for you to take a look at. Correct. And the reality is that's more of the norm. Like I've got some clients in other industries that are hiring right now. And the first thing is, even though the pandemic seems to be long behind us, there still is a labor shortage. Um, labor rates are still going up and up. And yeah. That is exactly the process. What Nate just explained is what most other companies do. Like in insurance, even if you go back to them, you go, hey, we'll help you hire. But what that consists of is we're going to go put up postings. We're going to start interviewing people. We'll get you somebody. Be patient. Mm -hmm. And it can take, you know, two to six months, you know, and in that time, there's a big cost to your business not having that person. I also think about like, for example, you guys put them through the three weeks of training now that was used to be five. Think about how much time that would take and how improperly it's probably typically done by someone who's not used to hiring themselves. Right. Like you're like, all right. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, yeah. They they think I'm just going to hire somebody and they'll watch me do my job and then they'll be ready at the end of the week. It's like, no, like you are going to have to take time out of your day if you're hiring somebody yourself because you go through the the recruiting process and the screening and the interviews. And then when you hire them, you've got to onboard them into your company at all the, at the general level. Right. And then you've got to teach Mm -hmm. them logistics and freight brokerage at a basic level. And let's be honest, like the average American or person does not understand what freight brokerage is. My own wife, I've been married for almost five years. (laughs) She still doesn't know what I do for a living, but these folks that you guys are providing as potential candidates, they've already been, They've been recruited, screened, um, vetted through. They've they've got the basic level of understanding. And then it's like, hey, if you find a good fit, sure, there's some other things they have to learn. They've got to learn a specific TMS platform that a broker mm-hmm. is using or a specific set of standard operating procedures or company policies of how here's the, the flow of how things work inside of our organization. But all those other 
mundane things that take up time when someone's a new hire, you don't have to worry about those. So I think that's great. Yeah, the the runway to productivity on a, on a new hire with us is dramatically shorter than than yeah, doing so it yourself. You said three to three to five weeks is like the the mission critical. Yeah, if you know you come to us and you engage, and let's say you you know you've signed our service agreement and, and you're ready to go, uh, operations and implementations takes you and through a process of three to five weeks, just depending on how many people you're looking for, you know uh, what we have available in the bullpen. Uh, and how many uh, people you want to interview, um, you know, we can get it all set up in, in your office, your satellite office in Colombia, Guatemala, Mexico, the Philippines set up in three yeah. five weeks. Ben, think, I mean, real world situations, if I'm going to peg that, if I'm hiring someone myself, it's like three to six months, right? Oh, yeah. And I've done it. Like, I, well, I mean, I've had people from Lean Work in, in my brokerage on my book of business, and that is literally the time frame. Um, I think the last person I brought on took, it was right around a month. So right in that three to five, I think I had about six or seven people I was able to interview, um, came down to two candidates and I picked the one that, you know, tended to be a better fit. And that was literally everything you explained was exactly what I've experienced. Um, and I've been able to work Good. in other brokerages <laughs> as well. And I'm like, you know, everyone has seen the same thing. So it isn't just the corporate line. I mean, like the people that we've referred and helped, you yep. know, connect with you guys, that's exactly what they saw, you know, right yeah. around a month, they had somebody that was able to work. Like, yeah. not like, hey, we're going to start learning logistics. I mean, like, we were able to show them the TMS, get them up and running, and they were productive by five weeks, I would say. Yeah, you know what's cool, too, is there there's often hesitancy from folks when they think about the idea of, I'm going to hire someone out of the country from a, a different organization. And it, it, the whole staffing concept, there's some, like, there's some weird thoughts of certain people about it. And I was like, I wonder if this is going to catch on. This is, you know, back when you guys were under 2000 people still. And, but mm-hmm. there, there's just a way it's kind of like when you talk to somebody and it's hard to put into words, but you, you kind of trust who they are. You trust their process. When I went to uh, a TIA, TIA conference in the fall in Washington, DC, and I, there was about a hundred different brokerages represented the amount of folks there that utilize the nearshore staffing model uh, a lot of them with lean and got to yep. hear their success stories with how they were like, yeah, we were super hesitant about it. And we're like, this is, you know, it sounds too good to be true. And then they're like, it's r- ridiculous how well it actually works. But and again, like not every candidate's going to work for the long haul. There is, there's always the potential of, Hey, we might have turnover. The person that we hire, we might realize that they might not be a better, the best fit right now. Maybe we got to find some more, somebody else. And that process, yeah. again, like it's, you're not going back to a six month process of trying to find somebody new or when you just want an additional hire, you've got that very short window of time or that ramp to get you up to speed. So I'm, I'm glad to see that it's worked well for, for a ton of brokerages out there. And um, it's, yeah, it's come a long way for sure. Yeah. And not only that, but like you talk about, you know, people who might not stay in the role. I mean, our attrition rate is, super low compared to the average attrition rate. I think the average lifespan in logistics is like, I don't know, six to eight months for first time employees in the, in the industry. About right. Um, you know, our attrition rate is like, we're, we're retaining 97% of our employees on a monthly basis. So, uh, 97% on a monthly it's probably basis. probably the exact opposite. Like, so like in Brent, we've talked about it in, in sales. Like, that's the washout rate. Yeah. 97, 97 people don't make it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's I think that's over like a two year period. But still, yeah. that goes to show like just how wildly different the stats are, because at the same time, look, just purely look at the hiring process of a large like look at your top five brokerages out there, right? Like your CH Robinson, TQL, right? Companies like that, Coyote, a lot of them. And again, I, I don't work for any of them. I have not worked for any of them. But from the folks I've met and talked to that have had experiences there, they have massive hiring classes. And the intent is not to make them all successful. It's one of those, we're going to take a, you know, we're going to cast a wide net and we're going to weed out the ones that don't fit. Typically in that first, like six, like you said, six to eight months, I've seen yeah. a lot like five, six months in, there's a lot of turnover and it might be because the person doesn't enjoy it or they don't hit a certain um, metric that's a requirement to stay in their training program and stuff like that. But it's a complete, it's an entire paradigm shift to, to go from that casting a wide net to, hey, we're going to be laser focused on who we hire. And these are folks with a very, very low attrition rate who yeah. we're not going to have to be worried about hiring another, you know, 10 folks six months from now because only one of them's left. So, yeah. And, you know, not everybody, you know, not every brokerage even has the resources to do that. They don't have yeah. the resources to cast a white net and just kind of, yeah. you know, recruit a big recruitment class and see 97% go. Right. That's why it's called While you're paying salaries so. and trainers. <laughs> exactly. We yeah. want to, you know, we approach this from you know, a more strategic perspective. We want your business to grow as it needs to grow. And so you can add people when you need to add people. It's not, uh, you know, you have to recruit 40 to keep two. You, you can just add two. <laughs> and I think the other thing, too, that's really important to point out, right, is what you said earlier in this call is that you're bringing opportunities to an area that doesn't have as much, right? the talents there, but there's just not as many opportunities as there are in the U S and some of these countries, right? Well, Mm -hmm. when you have a better opportunity than most of your peers in your country, you're way less likely to leave your job. Right. So it has like built in kind of like insulation around it where you hire somebody in the U S three months from now, some other company that just really needs to hire could just offer them more money and they just might go. And that is exactly what's happening right now. People are jumping from job to job because they're getting offered more mm-hmm. money. That doesn't mean they're the best person. It just means that the other company felt like they had a higher need and were willing to throw money at it temporarily. So you see a lot of people not stay in jobs as long as they do in places where there's fewer opportunities. And I think that's a huge advantage yeah. too. I also think you know part of that is you know the American culture has shifted you know, the things that people are looking for in a workplace are often not offered at the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not something that, you know, we really struggle with. We have a great company culture in the solutions group. We're like the best place to work. We're like best CEO for women, best CEO for diversity. Um, so we have uh, last year we won eight comparably awards, which is a third party that goes into our company and takes a poll, uh, you know, and of all the respondents, you know, we, we we came out on top from our company. Our culture is it, it's a great place. Well, I mean, it, it just it goes to show, right? Like the the companies that succeed and what they do, they learn what's working and they figure out what's not working and they adjust mm-hmm. them. And just like you you talk about that people process tech, right? You guys had to master that internally yourselves before you okay. could be a you know spearhead that as a leader for you know for other. Um, you know, for brokerages and other companies mm-hmm. that exist out there. Well, so. and not just, we didn't just have to master it either. We had to invest in it. So that's, yeah. a, that's the other thing is, so our operations team uses a proprietary program that our technology division built for them to 
be as efficient as possible to make sure that we can do this at scale without disruptions, no matter how far we span geographically. Uh, can you hit so, on that a little more? Because I know we, um, w- one of the things that you brought up before, I think it was before we, we hopped on the show is using that proprietary system that you guys created, but then being able to replicate that or, you know, as far as measuring KPIs and metrics for a customer of yours, what is that? Can you talk a little bit to that to, to explain it? Yeah, we have a team of, of dozens of people that work in our quality assurance department. And so what that means is those people are working with our clients, working with our account managers on a daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly basis to make sure that uh, the service level agreement, basically when we implement uh, a team for a company, we talk about the KPIs that they would like uh, visibility on. And so we, we go in and we set up through a process of workforce analytics, which we're now beginning to roll out as a service for customers because some of our customers have liked what we've done so much on the workforce analytics and quality assurance side with their team in Columbia that they just want it rolled out across the board throughout the company. Um, and so it's, <clears throat> it's becoming kind of a, a really cool deal where, you know, we've gotten so good at, ensuring that productivity is being met, that KPIs are being measured, uh, and that all of this is visual, right? So it's data, it's information. And we're able to make decisions based on that that data and help our clients to manage that workforce in Columbia. So we talked about people are scared to lose control. Uh, I think that's really what the fear is with outsourcing is you think you're just giving away like a piece of your business. Uh, to some third party, and that's not the case here. That's not what we're doing. Um, we're a partner, a true partner, to uh, set things up the way that you need your you need them to be set up for your business to succeed. And then we're we're still there, right? You get your team up and running. We're there. We're tracking KPIs. We're doing the workforce analytics. So the whole that whole concept to roll that out to your customers as a service. That came from customers, like the demand from the customers. That wasn't like, "Hey, we're going to try this next yeah. year." It's like, well, no, people are asking us. All, all of our all of our services that we have, whether it's marketing, tech, sales, BPO, or now workforce analytics, it's all from customer demand. I mean, we're a we're a customer centric organization, and so we really work hard to make sure that our customers are seeing success with us. And that is a just big picture. That is a and extremely important mindset and view to have as a brokerage business owner like Ben we've talked about it the only company that's been successful at telling their customers what they're going to want is Apple like hey we're going to create this watch and you're going to all love it you know, yeah. these airpods <laughs> but no we can't you can't do that in brokerage and be like we're going to be your one stop shop for LTL full truckload intermodal air ocean white glove it's like no what is your customers demand and that's how you can sculpt your business and your services to them. That's what, I mean, like one PS, of the things you see, visibility now. <laughs> there you go. I, I mean, the reality is, I mean, no matter what business you're in, the ones that are successful are the ones that one, listen to their customers and have feedback loops. So they're getting the information back. But yep. most importantly, they're, re, they're iterating. They're changing the things based on the feedback they're getting, right? So every time they're doing the things, they're getting better at it. Where I think, there are a lot of companies out there that don't do that at all. And that's why they don't last. Like they don't make it over yeah. the long run because they make decisions independently by committee and they don't really give a shit what anybody that uses their product or service actually needs or cares about. Yep. Yep. 
I agree. Good stuff. Well, cool. We got uh, anything else you want to hit on with with Lean here, Ryan? While uh, while we're in the bulk of this here, before we get to our Q and A. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, just for your audience, you know, whether you're a small brokerage or a team of one, you know, I think you it's always important to you know think about the future. What are your workforce plans? Uh, your workforce directly impacts your customer experience, your transactional cost, uh, which is your net profit. Um, so it impacts your efficiency, your productivity, and uh, obviously your operating costs. So uh, think about your workforce, think about growing, and, and make sure that you have a plan in place uh, to achieve an optimized workforce because it really will determine whether you have a stable business going forward, uh, especially in hard times, or, or a healthy business. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, good stuff. I would normally do an ad read here, but I think we gave a, a enough, uh, a, a very plentiful amount of information on Lean in today's episode. So make sure if you guys do want to learn more, uh, you can go to leangroup.com. That's L-E-A-N, leangroup.com. All right. So our we have four questions today. Um, they, some of them kind of grouped together, so you might get some repetitive stuff here. But the first one is, what credentials do I need to become a freight broker? Um, the fact that they use the term credentials makes me think like uh, certification or something like that. Um, they're, I mean, outside of the licensing that comes from the Department of Transportation and FMCSA, there is no credential, right? Like, so you think about if you're a lawyer, you've got to, you have to go to the to law school and you got to pass the bar. If you want to be a medical doctor, you've got to go to med school and I don't know what tests they take. I'm not a doctor, but you know, there's all, if you, if you want to sell securities, you got to take your series seven series or whatever, six. Right? series six, series six. sevens. Yep. CPA right? to be an accountant. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Oh. Freight brokers. You got to have a sick mind and no, I'm just kidding. You got, <laughs> there's, there's no credentialing that, that goes into it. What does happen is the licensing process through the FMCSA. It's a very, very low barrier to entry, which is why we see, um, a lot of folks try it out, and um, oftentimes they don't see it through or they don't succeed because there is a very low barrier to entry. So you, you can take little risk to try and go strike out on your own. Um, <clears throat> so no credentialing, you know, like no college degree. There's no like class you have to take or anything like that. But that being said, if you don't have if you don't do certain things, your chances and likelihood of succeeding are far far thinner than if you did. So like for example. Um, you have to learn it somehow, right? And that could be through working for an experienced broker that trains you or going through some sort of um, course like 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 ours, for example, right? With with coaching and mentorship for the long term so you can continue to learn and, and refine your skills. Um, it could be that, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's probably some people that just did a lot of Googling and probably made it, but um, very, very few and far between, I would imagine. So, but no, no credentials needed. Um, any, what would you recommend there as well, Ben, on that? So obviously you've got to learn it. You've got to have someone that's going to be able to kind of coach you along the way and correct your, your wrongs. But what, uh, what else would you add in there? There's not really much. I mean, you kind of covered everything. I mean, I, I think that if you're going to go do anything, you should have a mentor. I mean, my, my approach to everything in my adult professional life was I went and worked for people that knew how to do it, learned how they did it really well, took what they did well, took what I thought I could do better and then did it myself. Um, so that's always kind of been my approach. And even if you are just going to go strike out on your own and that's not necessarily work at a company, 
have network, like reach out. People are more helpful than you would imagine. Just sending cold emails, you can probably connect with some other people in the industry that'll give you 10, 15 minutes here, there. Do some legwork so that you aren't on an island, so that you aren't an island, right? Where you have nobody yeah. to talk to, mm -hmm. no resources, nobody to touch base with, because there are so many things doing this job every day that will be new, that you've never seen before. And I mean, everybody, I mean, I, I talk to some people that I know that have been in this industry 15, 20 years and like they still run into this weekly. So like no matter how long you've been in it, there's so many nuances and shippers that do things differently or securing requirements that having somebody that you can just pick up or shoot an email to is invaluable. Yeah. I, would, I would add to that too. Um, what I've seen, the most successful freight brokerage companies the leadership and the owners there, they tend to build this like figurative board of directors around them. And I don't mean that literally like a board of directors, like a C-suite. I mean, like they've got a go-to transportation attorney that they can go to when they need help with anything legal in this space. They've got a really solid insurance broker that can talk to them about different insurance policies, what's included or excluded from those, what the kind of the, the cost uh, benefit would be for paying for a certain policy versus not um, having a business coach or some sort of professional mentor that doesn't necessarily work in your industry, but understands business from a high level and can predict things that maybe you don't see because you got your blinders on. So they tend to have that like realm around them. They're not always internal to their company, but they got that the 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 legal person. They've got the insurance person and the business uh, professional. So that those are longer term things to think about but you're right don't like i like how you said don't become an island like we always say don't end up on an island but don't become an island where you're secluded from everything else uh like when we had arl on where like literally there's three of us on this podcast that all work at technically competitors right but we yep. find value in sharing information and talking to each other because we can all learn from each other in this industry and that's really what this whole podcast and Freight 360 has been about since day one is to share knowledge so we can all become better. So, yeah, good and stuff. I love that. I love that about this industry, by the way. Uh, I mean, I've never been a freight broker, but, you know, I think I got a good grip on the job just because I, I get to talk to people yeah. and I, I'm You're working in that space. I mean, yeah. But everybody's yeah. so passionate in this industry. So everyone's going to be willing to talk to you, man. Just reach out to people on some LinkedIn DMs and anybody can mm -hmm. learn anything. Absolutely. There's nothing more flattering than someone asking you for your advice or your opinion on something. It's a, it's one of the highest levels of uh, flattery you can you can show somebody. So, all right, good stuff. Next, uh, I'm going to loop these, group these two questions together. We have what insurance do I need as a freight broker, and what insurance do I need to start a courier company or like a courier trucking company. Um, so we've answered the freight broker one. They're technically the only product you would need insurance wise. It's technically it's a bond. It's a surety bond of at least $75,000 face value, or it could, you could either have it as a bond or put in a trust. Um, but you will oftentimes find yourself needing policies that your customers request or require like a general liability policy, a contingent cargo policy, trailer interchange, all those things. So, um, that's the freight brokerage side. Now, the trucking company side, you're often, depending on what you're hauling, the size of your equipment, you're going to need a cargo insurance to cover the value of what you're hauling. You're going to need um, auto liability, general liability. 
Uh, and again, whether you're a freight broker or you're you own an asset based trucking company or you're looking to start either one, don't just you know don't just Google and say what do I need, and don't just listen to us. Go to a trusted insurance broker, right? Who can shop multiple policies for you and put together. They might they might have one company underwrite one part of your policy and another company underwrite another part of your policy, and they'll put it all together with you. And they've done this a lot, like the best ones. Remember, we had Melt on about a year or so ago, and he's done it for decades and decades. So he's seen all kinds of things, what you know, requirement changes and all that. But um, definitely get with a pro on that. And um, we don't have any direct referrals. I don't think that's legal to, to ref- have a referral system in place for insurance. Um, but yeah, definitely get with a good trusted uh, broker on that. Ben, you want to add anything? Nope. Covered it. Pretty straightforward. It. Okay. All right. Well, I'll let you take this last question. So they asked, what are the, what are the first steps in starting a freight brokerage? And then example, like finding carriers, marketing loads, lanes. Um, so let's say somebody's already set up their license. They got their bond in place. What do they do next? Customers. Customers before carriers. And again, why that's the case, and we get this question a lot, is because you won't know where your customers will come from. And you won't know where your customer's need will come from because they don't usually know right now. So let's say today's day one, right? And I call I call a prospect, you know, this afternoon. Oftentimes what brokerage does is we provide, you know, last minute flexible capacity. Well, where does that come from? It comes from something happening, either something going wrong, a truck not showing up, them getting additional freight they didn't expect, anything that was un- unpredictable, right? So by nature, your first opportunities aren't predictable. They aren't predictable from your customer's point of view. So where they are going to be in the country is not able to be determined ahead of time. So like you could spend a month developing a carrier base in Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. You could prospect in those three states and they might say, sorry, the first load I need help with is out of Chicago. So I've always felt that what makes the most sense is to start on the prospecting side, to start creating some demand for the business, which is it all falls down a waterfall. Shippers start at the top, then the brokers and the carriers. So if you get the shippers first, that's the hardest part. As you're getting those, then you're going to utilize something like a load board like DAT or just calling local carriers that might be able to pick that up. And through time, the ones that don't do a good job, we don't use again. The ones that do a better job, you use again. That's where your carrier base comes from. So again, I think, you know, the cart before the horse analogy, the horse is the shipper, the cart are the carriers, start with the shippers then develop your carrier base where the need is from your customers. It's the same concept that Ryan was talking about before where the cu- it's the customer's demand, right? That drives what that next solution so, is that you're going to bring to them. You can't just go out there and grab, you know, like you said, you can't build a carrier base in Georgia and Florida, then find a customer and try to shove it down their throat. Like, you, hey, you need the, you need these carriers. They're like, no, I don't. I need a truck in Denver right now. Yep. So, yeah, that's exactly right. So, and I'll reiterate something that we've said before, specifically when it comes to building that care, that customer base is don't expect your first call, your first week to be the answer to all your sales the rest of your career as a freight broker. First of all, you don't understand. Well, you're not very good at prospecting yet when you're brand new. You might be just quite frankly, you might be terrible at it. And until you go through those first 500 calls or so, you don't really know the questions you're supposed to be asking or how you're going to open up your call or you might not even find your voice yet because you're not comfortable in your own skin at this point. So um, just get started, right? Put something put something in motion because if you don't start doing anything, you just sit there, you're never going to succeed. So definitely 
generate those prospecting lists, make your call lists, make the dials, make the follow-ups and all that stuff. And we've got a ton of content. If you just go to our website, freight360.net, and you go to the, the content section and search prospect, right? You will find dozens and dozens of pieces of content. And um, thanks to Lean and especially Augusto, shout out to him for helping build our website and making that a searchable um, library for us. We've got hundreds and hundreds of pieces of content up there. And any single question that you guys have, we'll try to answer them all on the show, but just go right to that content section and search it right in there. And you'll find podcasts, blogs, YouTube videos, you name it. They're all in there. So good stuff. Um, Good episode. I'm going to make my prediction here on the Bills game real quick. Um, The Bills, according to ESPN, have a 96.3% chance of winning this game. And uh, I'm going to call it a blowout. I see the Bills putting up, I'm going to say like 35 to nine. That's my, that's my answer right there. Miami. Sounds good. The fish. They're not going to hit double digits. 35 to nine. Um, Ryan Steeler or not Steeler. Sorry. The Cowboys and Tampa Bay. What do you think on that one? Uh, I think Tampa Bay. Really? Yeah. Cowboys are, they've run out of steam. I think, I don't think they've, uh, they're not consistent enough uh, through all the reps during a game anymore. So, I think well, somehow Tom Brady or the Bucks, you know, pull it out. So I'm I'm looking it up right now. It's a, you know they're they're calling it a close game. They're saying Dallas is only favored by two and a half. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, that, that's a game that I think it could go either way. I think I personally think Dallas will do it, but who knows? I, they are running out of steam. But again, Tom Brady has not proved himself to me this year like he did in years past. So I don't know. Uh, ben, we don't have a Steelers game to talk about until next year, but I don't know. sorry, bud. <laughs> <laughs> well, any um, any last thoughts here, Ryan? You got anything else to add in? No, yeah, uh, just you know, go check us out, leangroup.com. Absolutely, Ben. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go build. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.